This episode of The Clear Out was recorded on the 14th of December 2022 at home in Wicklow. And it is the first of at least two, probably only two, Christmas episodes for this year. And it was an episode beset with interruptions and distractions. <laughs> Uh, <coughs> excuse me, my own fault, my own fault, I I made life difficult for myself, I left myself with too little time to record, um, with uh, without allowing for the technical issues I faced, my computer started playing up and it cost me valuable, valuable minutes and then there were interruptions from my daughter, from the puppy, and the ability to to concentrate was shot down like like what shot down like a clay pigeon, and smithereened all over the place. So if there is, as a result of that, a sense as you're listening. Um, particularly towards the the latter uh, half of the of the podcast um, or the middle section, that's the reason why. That's the reason why, and I had to I had to vacate the premises for a social engagement <laughs> and come back and finish recording this very late at night. Um, so, yes, quite a bit of frustration around an episode that I had otherwise been very much looking forward to. So, um, yeah. So basically, there's a little, just some Christmas thoughts and reflections and some Christmas memories of Christmas's past. A couple of Christmas poems um, and then a Christmas story that I, I wrote for Aura, the wellness and sleep app, uh, this time a year ago and I thought actually it's not a bad story I'll, I'll throw that up here while I'm working on another Christmas story that I'm hoping to have ready for next week okay so that's what's going on it's um it's Christmas Christmas and more Christmas um in that sort of lo-fi way of mine it's not too intense so uh, don't 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 get the heebie-jeebies, the Christmas heebie-jeebies. You can just roll with it. All right, okay. I'll um, I'll, I'll see you there, just after this little bit of music. Cheers. Ooh, not gonna change my mind. Leaving the dream behind. Hi, my name is Dara Clear, and you're listening to the Clear Out. You're very welcome. You're very welcome to. Uh, a festive episode. I hope you like that sort of thing. That may or may not be your your bent, your inclination. Are you uh, a fan of the festive season? This festive season? The old festival of Christmas. Festival. Do you like the Christmas tree? Do you like the lights? like all the the paraphernalia of the season 
Do you look forward to exchanging gifts? Do you look forward to a heaving board? <laughs> or not? Um, do you, maybe you have no love in your heart <laughs> for this, this time of year. It's uh, it's a zero-sum game. That, that may be how it feels. That's certainly how Ebenezer Scrooge felt. I think his line was, you celebrate, you keep Christmas in your way and let me keep Christmas in mine, to his, uh, to his very jolly, irritating nephew, who represented the, the full-blooded embrace of all things Christmas in the face of Scrooge's ice-cold heart. The mercenary money lender usury was his game. Um, and really that's that's kind of set us up. That's set us up for all our Christmas fare ever since. It's either that or, or the nativity. I mean, these are, are, are they the two most enduring Christmas stories? A Christmas Carol, Scrooge, the skinflint. He of the hardened heart uh, or else you get the 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 the, the replication the facsis, facsimile of of the, uh, the the nativity the the arrival of baby jesus um what are the what are the other variations that have endured i suppose another trope of the christmas story is getting home for christmas yeah um, does that make you think of the Chris Rea song? Chris Rea, Chris Rea, Rea, Rea. Uh, okay. Anyway, I'm I'm I've jumped straight into it without going. Hey, hey, new listener! If you're a new listener to the Tell, what I do here at the Clear Out is explore everything that life throws at us, <laughs> the collective, the collective us. You, me, we. Uh, I'm, I'm so unbelievably arrogant and presumptuous and egotistical that I think I can speak for us all. That's, that's actually not true. Uh, I do just try to look at, at whatever's going on in my own life, whatever seems to be going on elsewhere around the world, and try to make sense of things and put things into a, a wellness frame because I think everything, everything impacts our sense of wellness, for better or worse. And I'm a big advocate of cultivating resilience and self, a, a regime of self-care and sort of a trying to take a, a pragmatic, practical, sensible, uh, doable approach to, to cultivating one's own wellness and the the attitude part the, the the wellness with attitude which is the subtitle of the podcast the attitude part is just it's just keeping it real it's just not getting too ridiculously over the top with the hyper performative positivity which i i kind of dis- detest and deeply distrust <laughs> i just think come on now come on now would you ever just give it a rest just be normal. Just be normal. Anyway, um, so okay, that's that's it. That's that's the, uh, the 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 summary of the the raison d'être, 
of this podcast, this humble, this humble offering. Um, yeah. Okay. So I'm running. I'm running a, a high risk strategy today. I'm in one of the other rooms at home in hashtag blessed, and I have a, a dog sleeping to my right. In fact, I have a cat sleeping even closer to my right under a, a leopard print fleece blanket. If you don't mind, that was a a rather lovely, depending on your understanding of the word lovely, wedding gift from my friend Owen. <laughs> How are you, Owen? If you're listening, thanks so much. The leopard print fleece blanket lives on, and our aged cat sleeps beneath it. To my left, I have two smelly uh, guinea pigs, two brothers. You may you may hear them humping at some point. That's not a sexual hump. Um, if you quickly were reaching for the off button, uh, th- th- this is a very PG podcast, and that would be a platonic hump, a brotherly, manly, fluidless hump. Just two little hairy guinea pigs rubbing up against each other, saying, "I love you, man," and the other one says, "I love you too." It's lovely to be in love with you, bro, because there's no one else in our world except those humans who occasionally swing by to drop off the ends of carrots and and uh, purchased <laughs> purchased weed, grass, grass, and uh, little guinea pig niblets. And um, because the the stove is cranking in here, it's rather hot. And the the guinea pigs are they're frequent visitors to their water bottle. They're like, man, is it is it just me or is it is it hot in here? And God love them, they can't they can't strip down to their undies. They've got to they've got to get around their their domain in those shaggy jackets that pass for guinea pig hair or fur. Anyway, that's it. Oh, there's in fact I'm surrounded by animals. The other cats here as well. She's in her her palace, which is two cardboard boxes, one sitting turned upside down and sitting on top of the other. There's a little sheepy fleece blanket in there that she's sleeping on. So isn't that lovely? Apart from the guinea pigs who are kind of active, the other three are sound asleep. My daughter's in the other room. And I just thought for this, um, the first of two festive episodes, I'd be out here where the Christmas tree is and the decorations. One of my favourite decorations, seeing as you didn't ask, is a little replica of an old Irish telephone box. Green and green green and cream, I want to say, rather than green and white. I remember them well. And it's basically like a, a snow globe, except it's a telephone box. And I love it. And it was a gift to me from my wife three Christmases ago. The first Christmas back in back in Ireland so uh, I'm very fond of it it's uh, (laughs) it's lovely and those little things getting out your your snow globes and the like they um, yeah they're the they're the 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 stimuli for your your Christmas spirit again as I say if you're if you're someone who leans that way and all joking aside if you're not someone who leans that way don't worry about it don't worry about it it's okay you just go and be joyless and miserable by yourself okay 
again I'm joking it's not for everyone it's not for everyone uh, in fact my, my wife is she's doing a gig tonight with her uh, her long term friend and drummer Sean how are you Sean I know you're not listening <laughs> uh, not a big fan of Christmas you know a reluctant participant it's um and I think the thing is, if you if you if if you've a little bit of contrarian in you, the the forced, the forced uh, participation, the forced kind of jollity uh, of Christmas can be a pain in the rear end. But uh, what I would take from the the Scrooge quote, which I think I don't think it it's exactly right, but I think you work it out for yourself. You work it out for yourself you do Christmas in your way I'll do Christmas in mine and find the right combination of things that make it that make it sing so to speak um, yeah so today it, look it's going to be a shortish episode for a few reasons I had massive delays trying to get this episode going today my computer was playing up and the software I used to record just kept on cutting out it uh, just would stop recording in mid-flow. Uh, maybe the computer is sick of listening to me. So I just shut everything down, went to restart my computer. It took half an hour to reboot. That is the sign of an unwell machine. So, yeah, might be time to get a new a new laptop. And uh, that's great, because I can't afford one at the moment. So, um <laughs> All free laptops can be sent to hashtag blessed. Uh, do get in touch if you want my address. And a big fat thank you. Um, no, I'll, I'll, have to, I'll have to find a way. Anyway, that sort of thing drives me mad. I that, like Pet hates things that don't do what they're supposed to do. Like I get more annoyed, more exercised by my computer not working than... Uh, a dick dictator getting up to what a dictator gets up to because the dictator is actually doing what the dictator is meant to do so it fits it makes sense to me okay well of course that's what the dictator is doing you know censorship and purges and ethnic cleansing and torture and you know all the horrible stuff that dictators get on with but it's like hey I'm a dictator like what else am I going to do be all nice and sound and considerate and look after everyone and air those voices of protest. Um, no, but something that doesn't do what it's supposed to do, like my laptop about um, 40, 50 minutes ago, I have such an impulse to smash it. <laughs> it's just, that's it. That's the thing. You're not doing what you're supposed to do and it's costing me time and I need to just, um, my counsel to my, my Tai Chi students is you've got to get into a receptive, a receptive and accepting frame of mind, non-judgmental, um, no judgment on things that are interrupting the flow. Because what we're trying to achieve when we do Tai Chi and Qigong is flow. We're trying to cultivate flow, flow of energy, flow of breath, flow of thought, uh, non-judgment, uh, very 
passive witnessing mind and very a very kind of gentle non yeah as i say non-judgmental frame of mind i accept i accept so i was trying to do that before while i was waiting for my <laughs> waiting for my bloody laptop to reboot and i was just going do you know what i'm just going to breathe into this i'm going to breathe into this and if i have to record this episode late and send it out late so be it it's not the end of the world it's no big deal breathe relax and that's what i did and uh, it's come back so it's okay but in any case i i will nonetheless be keeping it short short ish and my plan is to share a few little christmas memories christmas memories christmas anecdotes i've just got this i've just got the most amazing anecdote everyone sit down get get a glass get comfortable this is going to take a while um it's a long one (laughs) anyway so there i was 1987 no um okay a few few christmas memories i'm gonna read a couple of christmas poems i'm gonna just you know the christmas poems um i'll talk about that in a second i'll talk about that i'll talk about that in a second and i'm also going to include in this week's episode a christmas story that i wrote last year so I'm working on a new Christmas story that I hope to have ready for next week's episode. But I did record an extra Christmas story last year that I'd written for Aura, the wellness and sleep app that I create some content for sleep stories and meditations and the like. And I just thought, you know what, that wasn't a bad little story. And I revisited revisited it yesterday i reread it and i thought actually you know what this is quite nice so i'm going to include that story in today's episode um so you may that means if you're if you are a regular listener and i know at least one listener hi joe yes i'm talking to you joe sparkles in melbourne drama queen in the best sense <laughs> not in the insulting sense of the word uh joe runs uh, an acting school acting program for kids in melbourne and kicks ass and joe is also a former a former colleague of mine and i i am a former colleague of hers we worked together in uh, an english language school in melbourne quite a few years ago and uh, have remained remained pals so uh joe was asking me uh, are we getting a new christmas story this year and joe you are, and you might even be getting two. Um, I've got two ideas percolating for two other different new Christmas stories, and I'm just trying to decide which one I'm going to try and get written between now and next week. But as I say, today I'm going to throw in one that you won't have heard before unless you're a listener to the uh, Aura wellness app. Aura, can you feel my aura? Um, yeah, and I'll talk about that a little bit later before I um, before I play it for you. Okay, so um, oh, the puppy, the puppy just jumped off the couch. Can you hear that? Can you hear the sound of noisy puppy drinking? Yeah, that's Pepper. Um, so yeah, I, I I was trying to think. Like, see, last year I really I really went hard on you know 
the my own relationship to Christmas and what I like about Christmas and how much I love Christmas and grand. And I thought, well, I don't really want to repeat that again this year. It's not very interesting, is it? If you've heard it all before. But but fundamentally, just to just to give you the, the, the you know the snapshot, my um, there, there's a couple of aspects to what I've always liked about Christmas, and one is the obvious, you know, the magic, the magic of Christmas, Santa Claus, all of that. I bought in big time as a kid, loved it, loved it, just loved that. Yeah, the just the the, the sense of anticipation. The, the 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 excitement, the 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 change in the energy uh, around Christmas time, you know, between adults and just what I felt was just the change in the energy in the in the world, um, and I absolutely loved it. Um, so that was like one thing, and and I like to try and kind of revisit that or tap into it in in whatever way I can. Um, and the other thing that I really really loved that was very special to me was. The get out of jail nature of Christmas, the the sense that you couldn't get in trouble, <laughs> because I had a uh, here's a, here's a nice euphemism for you. I had a lot of energy <laughs> as a kid. Uh, maybe that's not even euphemistic, but uh, I had a lot of a lot of love to give, and um, it was more than my. My poor mother. There's a cliche. Ah, your poor mother. Four boys, your poor mother. I mean, I I, I won't start on uh, <laughs> how I could extrapolate on that. Um, but my mother could be quite cranky, a little bit, a little bit sharp, and uh, through the rest of the year, you'd be kind of minding yourself and watching yourself just in case you got killed. But at Christmas, you got a pass. And I just thought, oh my God, this is so good. <laughs> you get a pass at Christmas. And I still, I can't, I can't change that wiring in myself. Um, I kind of feel that way about birthdays as well. On your birthday, you get a pass. Okay, on your birthday, you just, everyone needs, has to be nice to you. That's the rule. And, um, you know, I just think... Um, <laughs> the the opportunities to um to live free <laughs> don't don't come along very often so if it's two days a year uh birthdays and christmas you know make the most of it make the most of it make the most of it living free baby and um just letting the good times roll so uh that, that that's always been my kind of my, my they've been my kind of drivers magic and freedom so uh, I mean that's 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 pretty good, pretty good combination if you think about it. Um, magic and freedom. So uh, yeah, freedom to immerse yourself in magic. Um, I, you know, yeah, I don't know. I, it's um, yeah, there's part of me that recognizes that maybe there's something you know childish and immature, um, delusional uh, about that relationship with this time of year. But um, I don't know. There's, there's a to me. There's a, there's a romance, um, and there may be, there may be a sentimentality. Um, 
I mean, I, I'm, I'm hesitating to use that word because I, I really I'm very resistant to invalidate this position. I think, you know, the life is tough enough. There's enough crap going on always. There's, there are enough things to to drag you down into the mud um, to remind you of your your vulnerability, your frailty. Um, there's enough of that always. There's enough. There's enough tetchiness, there's enough conflict, there's enough static and white noise that when you get permission to go, do you know what? You're allowed, we're giving you permission for this period to just let your soul lift briefly. It's basically an armistice, isn't it? Isn't it a laying down of arms? Isn't it about just, okay, let's all just play nicely for a while, okay? And here, have some nice mulled wine. And there, there's a chocolate and there's some, a little bit of extra food and some extra treats around the place. And here's some music. Listen, choose wisely with the music, for God's sake. I mean, for every great Christmas song, there seems to be 20 absolutely awful ones. Awful. Just <laughs> effluent for the ears. <laughs> uh, but... Um, yeah, it's, 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 um, yeah, you know, choose wisely with the music because, you know, there's a reason people get sick of it. There's a reason it all just becomes shopping center, elevator music. Um, so, yeah, choose carefully. I mean, I have a selection of albums that I play every year and even some of those I don't go back for more. Um, so, yeah, there's a, you know, there's a time and a place. There's a way to curate those tunes to make sure they they hit you in the right place um now speaking of of tunes i'm hoping i'm hoping next next week on next week's episode to have a a repeat performance a repeat of last year's festive effort when myself and my wife and my cousin fion played a few christmas songs we did a we did four four nice little christmas songs um and again i'm using the word nice um, you, know, uh, you know, with with discretion there. Um, I don't think Fionn will be able to make it this year, so it might just be a duet. If that's not too toe curling for you, um, it might be a uh, <laughs> a little duo, a little Christmas duo, Dara and Kiara, the Aras as a friend of my wife's used to refer to us, um, along with her sister, Sarah. Can you believe that? So there's Kiara, there's Sarah, and there's Dara. Um, yeah, so it may just be myself and my wife, and we'll, we'll do what we can. I mean, basically, my wife elevates anyone who sings with her or plays with her, because that's her great gift as a musician and singer. And, yeah, she can make some very ordinary (laughs) performers sound so much better uh, just by weaving her own vocal magic so that's what I'm hoping for next week Uh, and if I can persuade her she wrote a really nice Christmas song last year so maybe she can play that and she can teach me some idiot proof harmony so I can sing along Um, also my friend Sean Needham how are you Sean? 
He has a new... He, the way I try to write a Christmas story every year, Sean has been pretty diligent about trying to write Christmas songs. And he has a lovely new one that's out there. And, oh God, Sean, please don't kill me if I get this wrong. As far as I remember, it's called Happy Christmas Man. Isn't it? Okay, I have to go and check now. I'm sorry. You just uh, entertain yourself there. Have a have a humbug. Have a, a mint emerald. Um... I'm just going to check that because I want to get that right because uh, it's a really there's a lovely just a lovely sentiment in the song that I really liked and I liked the fact that um, a bit like the a bit like the guinea pigs you know it was kind of a it was kind of a brotherly love vibe to it which I really appreciated um, yeah happy Christmas man <laughs> I knew I hadn't I knew I got it right I knew it I told you. I told you I wouldn't forget. Happy Christmas, man. Go and check that out. And it's quite a funny little video of Sean in his garden in Copenhagen beside a lovely uh, burner in his garden. And um, it's a, yeah, it's a nice, it's a lovely track. And please, yeah, go and, go and check that out and give Sean some love. That's Sean Needham. Need. Think of, um, who needs ham? Because that's how it's spelled. Need. N-E-E-D, Ham, H-A-M, Needham, Sean Needham, from from Tyrconnell, Abu Tyrconnell. Oh my God, that was heinous. I don't know what accent I slipped into there, but it wasn't a bloody Donegal one, I can tell you that. Uh, from Donegal, how are you, Sean? Fair play to you, and hi to Esther and the chaps in, uh, in Copenhagen. Go and check that out. Okay, I'm going to, oh, I was going to share some Christmas memories, but I'm running out of time. Maybe I'm not. So hold on a second. So yes, Christmas, Christmas, Christmas memories. For some reason, I was thinking of one of the worst Christmases I ever had, which was in, let me get this right, Christmas 1996, uh, 26 fat years ago. And I was in Exeter in Devon. <laughs> In the uh, the south the south southwest of England, that's where I did my acting training, and myself and my my Irish girlfriend who followed me over from Ireland, we had a little a little apartment, a little flat in Exeter. Um, we decided we were going to we were going to stay there for Christmas. I was feuding with my family. I was disgusted with them for lots of reasons, and. Uh, I decided, no, <laughs> I'm not coming home for Christmas. Screw you guys. Um, so I decided to stay not home alone, but abroad alone, except with my girlfriend. And that was fine. And that was going to be cozy enough, I guess. And um, what happened was one of the guys I was in acting school with who was... What? How can I describe this guy without being insulting or patronizing uh, or judgmental um he was hmm <laughs> he was rather crude he was a blunt instrument um he'd done a bit of boxing he was a mechanic maybe in like an like an aeronaut aero aeronautic a mechanic 
Um, is that what you call someone who works on airplanes? Um, and he and I hit it off quite well. But, you know, I, I was wary of him because he was very blokey. And um, he just had, there was an edge to him. And he was a bit, yeah, he could be a bit of a tool. But then there was also something kind of funny about him and, and irreverent, which I appreciated in the very precious setting of acting school. Um, in any case, in the, out of the kind of, you know, the, 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 the largeness of his heart, he invited my girlfriend and I to have dinner with, with him and his family um, up the country. where I can't remember where they were. It wasn't that far away, a couple of hours away. And yeah, my girlfriend was sort of a hippie type, um, a vegetarian, quiet, quiet, sensitive kind of a girl, really nice. And um, basically it was like dropping this this vegetarian hippie into, uh, you know, a, a cage of ravenous meat eaters. Um, who just thought everything, um, you know, that, that my girlfriend represented was absurd and bizarre and entirely wrong. Uh, and it was just, yeah, it, it, you know, it, again, like I was saying earlier, like, why would you take yourself out of your comfort zone at that time of year? <laughs> why? Why? It was just, it was the wrong move. And um, yeah, you know, it was kind of Christmas Day in the pub as well, which is kind of an English thing. It just wasn't, it, no, it was, I mean, I, it was all wrong. It was all wrong. And we uh, we got out of there as quickly as we could the next day and back to our, our, little, our little apartment and spent the remainder of the, the holidays there quite happily. Thanks very much. Um, but yeah, there was no, not 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 a good time, not a good time. I can I can I can, I can barely articulate the discomfort, <laughs> the awkwardness, the sense of oh shit, this really wasn't the right place to come to for Christmas. Um, which doesn't take away from the fact that you know we were made feel welcome in spite of everything, and that was a nice gesture of my. Uh, my acting uh, classmate um but there you go that was yeah gas there was another christmas in england when i was much younger maybe um going back 10 years before that maybe yeah mid 80s christmas 85 or christmas 86 and my parents um took us to to england to spend christmas with friends there that was quite nice actually um i can't remember exactly where they were i think it was near Near Saffron, Saffron Waldron, Saffron, Saffron Waldron, is it Saffron, Saffron Waldron? Um, one of those pretty little English villages, and I remember that year for some reason. And I think, yeah, again, it's amazing how as a kid you can you can engage with nostalgia as a kid. And I thought I want a Paddington, a lovely Paddington book for Christmas, um, from my. It was from my late grandmother, who was involved in the book trade, who set up her own bookshop many years ago. Um, And, yeah, 
I got this Paddington book, which was lovely. But the second I started reading it, I just had that sinking feeling of, oh, I got this wrong. I don't need, I don't need this at all. I'm, I'm, I'm too old. What the hell was I thinking? However, what saved my Christmas that year was, was, um, a Paul Young album, The Secret of Association. I had that. I was given that on tape, and it was absolutely brilliant. So that was the soundtrack to that Christmas, and it just had such great, great, great songs on that album. And uh, yeah, Paul Young, just one of those, um, one of the uh, the blue eyed soul guys from England, who were killing it at the time. So um, that that made up for Paddington, yeah. So that was two Christmases abroad out of Ireland. And then, of course, I had 10 Christmases in Melbourne, um, 10 Christmases in the heat and 10 Christmases where I insisted on cooking turkey, cooking a full sized turkey, um, even though my wife, who is not the ex-girlfriend I referred to earlier, but my wife is vegetarian. And my daughter's pretty indifferent to turkey. But uh, for 10 Christmases in Melbourne, oh, apart from, I think we did one somewhere else, I was I was cooking turkey in 30 or sometimes 40 degrees heat um, because that's how I roll. I was so insistent on, no, I'm having, I'm having an Irish Christmas. I don't care that it's the middle of summer in Australia. And uh, I did try to get spiced beef. Do you like spiced beef? I tried getting spiced beef in Melbourne, but uh, it turned out not to be an option. So um, that was sad, but I've made up for it. There's a great butcher uh, not far from where we live here in Wicklow. And uh, he does what is now award-winning spiced beef. So my wife grabbed some of that for me uh, earlier this week. It's sitting there in the fridge waiting to be cooked. Going to be beautiful. Can't wait. Okay. I am gonna I'm gonna crack on. So I'm gonna read you I'm gonna read you two poems. I was having a bit of a look around for nice Christmas poems. And again, the a lot of Christmas poems they they do versions of the nativity story or they do versions of um you know your 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 guilt being being cleansed by the spirit of the Lord, and I can't stand that stuff. I really can't. I, they, I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to. I'm not going to start that conversation. Um, and then there are children's poems um, for Christmas, which are fine and lovely, but um, yeah, maybe just missing the kind of the the texture I'm looking for. So, what I'm going to read for you, I'm going to read two poems. One is is very obviously a Christmas poem and one is more generically a uh, a winter poem but I mean for me that's part of that's part of what I like about Christmas and we've been very lucky here um, in in Wicklow in the last week we've had some cold weather we had a little bit of snow so it's actually you know it's it's looking quite Christmassy out there um, white ground and like driving home today from getting my daughter from school just looking up at the mountains and parts of the mountains are completely covered in snow and they just glisten and gleam on the horizon so brilliantly and it's just absolutely beautiful i really really love it um so 
that that kind of northern hemisphere landscape particularly the rural landscape for me is part of the appeal of christmas stories and christmas settings so i'm just going to read you this poem by robert louis stevenson um yes he of treasure island fame and uh dr jekyll and mr hyde and this poem is simply called winter time late lies the wintry sun abed a frosty fiery sleepy head blinks but an hour or two and then a blood red orange sets again before the stars have left the skies at morning in the dark i rise and shivering in my nakedness by the cold candle bathe and dress close by the jolly fire i sit to warm my frozen bones a bit or with a reindeer sled explore the colder countries round the door when to go out my nurse doth wrap me in my comforter and cap the cold wind burns my face and blows its frosty pepper up my nose black are my steps on silver sod thick blows my frosty breath abroad and tree and house and hill and lake are frosted like a wedding cake that's really nice no i like that a lot very um very evocative uh i'm gonna burst straight on i've got another nice one here that i came across hadn't i I feel like i'd read wintertime before come across it in yes in a book of children's poems here's one by robert frost called christmas trees now you might be familiar with this and be rolling your eyes i hadn't come across this before and this is really quite nice because it's kind of the putting up in opposition the idea of the, the the you know the city mentality and the country mentality um because basically it's the story of somebody coming down from the city to to approach a country person who has a load of christmas trees like a a, a field full of christmas trees and he wants to buy them so it's their negotiation which forces the country person into evaluating his trees a bit differently so yeah see what you think of this because i thought it was was quite nice um so this is called christmas trees by robert frost and it's got a subtitle which is a christmas circular letter the city had withdrawn into itself and left at last the country to the country when between whirls of snow not come to lie and whirls of foliage not yet laid there drove a stranger to our yard who looked the city yet did in country fashion in that there he sat and waited till he drew us out a buttoning coats to ask him who he was he proved to be the city come again to look for something it had left behind and could not do without and keep its Christmas. He asked if I would sell my Christmas trees. My woods. The young fir balsams like a place 
her houses all are churches and have spires. I hadn't thought of them as Christmas trees. I doubt if I was tempted for a moment to sell them off their feet, to go in cars and leave the slope behind the house all bare, where the sun shines now no warmer than the moon. I'd hate to have them know it if I was. Yet more I'd hate to hold my trees except as others hold theirs or refuse for them beyond the time of profitable growth, the trial by market everything must come to. I dallied so much with the thought of selling. Then, whether from mistaken courtesy and fear of seeming short of speech, or whether from hope of hearing good of what was mine, I said, there aren't enough to be worthwhile. I could soon tell how many they would cut. You let me look them over. You could look, but don't expect I'm going to let you have them. Pasture they spring in, some in clumps too close that lop each other of boughs, but not a few quite solitary and having equal boughs all round and round. The latter he nodded yes to, or paused to say beneath some lovelier one with a buyer's moderation, that would do. I thought so too, but wasn't there to say so. We climbed the pasture on the south, crossed over, and came down on the north. He said, a thousand. A thousand Christmas trees? At what a piece? He felt some need of softening that to me. A thousand trees would come to thirty dollars. Then I was certain I had never meant to let him have them. Never show surprise. But thirty dollars seemed so small beside the extent of pasture I should strip. Three cents, for that was all they figured out a piece. Three cents so small beside the dollar friends I should be writing to within the hour would pay in cities for good trees like those. Regular vestry trees whole Sunday schools could hang enough on to pick off enough. A thousand Christmas trees I didn't know I had. Worth three cents more to give away than sell. As may be shown by a simple calculation. Too bad I couldn't lay one in a letter. I can't help wishing I could send you one. In wishing you herewith a Merry Christmas. That's uh, that's quite cool. I quite like that. Um, I definitely, I, I just lost the the rhythm of that at one point. I had um, had some visitors. My daughter came in um, and was trying to keep the dog under control. So there was some attempt at dog wrangling um, going on in the background there, which was. Um, quite distracting to say the least <laughs> I told you it was a high risk strategy but that's what that's what makes the clear out so special um, it's anything anything but smooth so I'm just going to go straight into the the story so this story as I said earlier I wrote for Aura the sleep and wellness app as a as it's kind of a, just a Christmassy sleep story and I tried to make it very straightforward and it's very, 
very simply the story of a little boy who's brought into the city on Christmas Eve uh, by his father. And it's trying to look at the sights and sounds of the Christmas scenes that play out there through the eyes of a small child. Um, And if you're an Irish listener or a Dublin listener, I think I really was visualising Grafton Street in Dublin. Um, Grafton Street is a pedestrianised street on the south side of the city. Um, Very popular a lot of big name shops there and it kind of winds its way from the uh, the side of Trinity College up to uh, Stevens Green and that was that was kind of what I was picturing kind of nighttime scenes around that part of Dublin neighboring streets uh certain pubs certain alleyways and archways and in my mind that's where it was I didn't bother name it as such but that's kind of what I was picturing um, coming off the uh, suburban train uh, maybe getting off at either Westland Row or Tara Street probably Westland Row actually um, and then walking over to Grafton Street that way via Nassau Street and weaving your way through so um, yeah so that's the story and it's called Christmas Eve in the city I um, I hope you enjoy it here it is cheers Christmas Eve in the city where to first you're the boss he looked up at his father grinning down at him from under a woolly hat he didn't know where to go He was just a kid. He wrinkled his nose and shrugged. His father looked thoughtful for a moment. Don't worry, he said. I'll lead the way. Come on, let's go. His father took his hand in his and set off confidently, merging with the throngs of people who were rushing this way and that bundling past each other, saying sorry and excuse me constantly, carrying bags and parcels and flowers and bottles, or else empty-handed, but moving with great purpose all the same. Nobody, he thought, absolutely nobody was simply taking their time. Why was everyone in such a hurry, he wondered, He could smell perfume and fragrances on every other person. Even his own father he'd seen splashing something on his face before they left the house. His father told him it was a secret potion his mother made him wear when he went out so he wouldn't fall in love with any other women. He said he never knew whether to drink it or pour it in his shoes so he just put it on his face while he was thinking about it. His father looked down at him again. You okay there, pal? You keeping up all right? He nodded that he was. There was just so much to see. He could barely stop looking at the endless array of clothes and shoes and hats 
and hairdos that bustled all around him. He wondered too about the beautifully wrapped gifts and parcels that were overflowing out of bags and arms, as if trying to leap into the hands of their intended recipients. He thought perhaps that some of the boxes had in them a puppy or a kitten that was to be somebody's Christmas gift the following morning. He began to think he could see lids suddenly bump themselves ever so slightly loose and he listened intently for a little puppy's yap or a kitten's mule. Before he had a chance to spot anything, he was being whisked away from the melee of bodies. Come on. We'll go this way, it's quicker, his father announced, turning sharply down a side street where it was immediately far less busy. They strode along quickly past parked cars and darkened offices, and then they were turning again, this time under an archway that led them over several steps before they emerged onto a cobbled street that had brightly lit shops on either side. He could feel the illumination of the vibrant window displays reflecting on his face as they walked by. His father wasn't stopping, so he looked back over one shoulder, then the other, as he tried to make sure he didn't miss anything. He observed that groups of people that they encountered seemed to be louder and less caring about how they walked and moved. Some were singing songs and many were laughing. The voices sounded loud, almost aggressive, but everything seemed to pitch to laughter and merriment. He was sure they were having what he often heard his father call the crack. He recalled his father explaining to an overseas guest one time that it was an Irish word for fun, sport and high spirits. He was intrigued to be up close to so many grown-ups in this mode. They seemed unpredictable and somewhat out of control. He wasn't too worried. As long as he was with his father... He knew he'd be all right. As if reading his mind, his father called out to him. Right, brace yourself. We're going in here for a quick one. I'm just saying a quick hello to Uncle Dennis and the lads. It's going to be noisy, but we'll keep it quick. And then the rest of the night is yours. His father had said quick three times and he had no choice but to trust that that would be the case but then he knew sometimes he and his parents had very different ideas of what was and what wasn't quick he was comparing quicks in his head when his father pulled open the door of the pub they had stopped at and they were hit by a wave of shouted conversations and music and laughter and glasses clinking and orders being shouted and received. It was a tangle of grown-up bodies and grown-up smells and grown-up voices. And there was another smell in the air, which was grown-up drink in its many forms. 
He was following his father as closely as possible. And there was suddenly an eruption of cheering as they found Uncle Dennis and a group of other men who seemed to have been having the crack for a long time before they had arrived. His father was clapped on the back and had his hand shaken several times. He himself was then hoisted up and over to Uncle Dennis who gave him a big hug and warmed everybody in attendance not to harm a hair on his head or there would be hell to pay. Uncle Dennis held on to him and shouted at the barman for a Guinness and an orange juice with ice and a straw. The drinks came and his uncle held him the entire time as he drank his orange juice slowly, savouring each cold mouthful in the hot, noisy arena in which he had been thrust. He watched his father throughout, laughing and telling stories and drinking and cheersing with his old friends. His father was as good as his word and finished his pint in no time. In fact, It was his father who had to wait for him to finish his drink. His uncle didn't release him until every drop was gone. And then they were on their way again, pushing through the merry masses and back out into the cold night air. His father crouched down to button up his coat and tighten his scarf. Now that wasn't too bad, was it? Good old Uncle Dennis. You check in with him tomorrow when he's over with us for dinner. I bet he'll be a lot quieter than he was tonight. Without warning, his father wrapped his arms around him and snuggled him for a moment, giving him a big squeeze before letting him go again. You're a great man, he said. You take it all in your stride, don't you? He didn't really understand what his father meant. But he smiled at him easily, because he knew when his father was appreciating him, it was a bit of a moment. The energy between them changed, and even though it made him a little bit uncomfortable, he also really liked it. Come on, he said, let's go. They hadn't far to walk before they were in the middle of another busy thoroughfare. Once again, there were people everywhere, milling past and amongst each other with a sense of great urgency. It struck him that not one of these busy grown-ups seemed at all cranky or impatient. People moved lightly, and many had smiles on their faces. He didn't know quite what to make of it, and tilted his head this way and that as every other person, both men and women, caught his eye. Hats, scarves, gloves, coats, packages, parcels, boxes and bags, and shoes. Lots of shiny shoes swam past him like shoals of colourful fish. Apart from the colour of the clothes and gifts and shoes themselves, He couldn't work out why the people seemed so colourful. Just as he was trying to come up with an answer to that question, his father lifted him up onto his shoulders and said with terrific enthusiasm, Now, that'll give you a better view of things. What do you think? He clutched his father's head with his mittened hands to keep his balance and then looked up and down the street. His eyes 
couldn't move quickly and perceptively enough to absorb everything there was to be seen. But in either direction, he could see that the street disappeared out of sight around corners. All along each side of the street, shop windows were lit up with iridescent Christmas displays, and overhead arrangements of coloured lights crossed the street from one building to another in various shapes and combinations. There were sleighs and bells and messages and archways and holly leaves and parcels, all captured in neon of every colour and together they formed a wonderfully illuminated ceiling under which they all had to pass. He loved it, and now understood how everybody seemed so colourful, because he too was now being lit up by the fall of artificial light on his face, sometimes white, sometimes green, sometimes yellow and red, sometimes flashing, sometimes still. It was as if the street was one giant decoration all of its own, a beautiful nighttime scene of Christmas busyness, and all the people were the tiny figures populating the action. He wondered what he looked like from high above, a little child atop his father's shoulders, his yellow mittens, blue bobbled hat and chunky red duffel distinguishing him from everybody else. They walked, or rather his father walked, at a gentle pace, in no rush now. He stopped to let people pass and to stare at one shop front or another and all the time spoke little assurances and encouragements and inquiries to him. They found themselves at the window of a little cake shop. He could see inside queues of customers lined four or five deep at the counter and a busy team of workers bustling beside each other as they tried to give everyone what they wanted. Mouth-watering pyramids of multicoloured macaroons, creamy eclairs, exquisite truffles, delicate pastries and plump profiteroles were being divided up and portioned out in pretty red boxes that were sealed with golden ribbons. But as eye-catching as that was, it was the window display that really fascinated him. In a brightly lit window to the right of the doorway was an elaborate Christmas scene that consisted of what seemed like countless gingerbread people having a snowball fight in front of a three-storey gingerbread house whose roof was laden with snow. Behind the house rose a huge purple mountain, also snow-capped, and Santa's sleigh and team of reindeer was flying across a night sky above the mountain. He was amazed to realise that everything he could see was made from something edible. White icing made up all the snow in sight. The house was made from gingerbread, and so too were the trees and benches in the window. Various sweets and chocolates and candy canes were used in different arrangements for everything else. He thought he would very much like to take a gingerbread man home with him, but his father must have read his mind again, because he tapped him on his foot and said that treats could wait until tomorrow. 
The next three shops they stopped at were a hat shop, a music shop and a jeweler's. He marvelled at the different types of hats he could see. He had never seen so many before. His father told him that a peculiar breed of men and women wore those hats and that they roamed free in the wild like lions on the savannah. He said they had to be humanely caught and released, but not before giving up their wonderful hats so people in the city could wear them to important events like mayor's balls and horse races. The window of the music shop sparkled with the silver and gold of the beautiful brass instruments that were lined up like soldiers waiting to be relieved. His father pointed out a French horn and an especially large saxophone and said that the people who made the instruments had to be enormously strong to bend the metal into those shapes. Finally, at the jeweller's, His father told him that jewellers were part of a secret society of extremely quiet workers that included librarians and mime artists. His father was full of stories and information like that and he never knew whether to believe him or not. They were always imparted with enormous seriousness but there was a look in his father's eyes that seemed to suggest something entirely different. Now, his father suddenly said, this is what you've been waiting for, right? He looked at where they had stopped. It was the most wonderful window yet. He was still up high on his father's shoulders and a large crowd stood between them and what everyone was looking at. There were other children like him being held aloft by their parents to ensure they had a view. But his father lifted him down and ushered him gently forwards through the bodies. When they had managed to squeeze quite a bit closer, his father told him to go on alone. You'll be fine, he said. I'll wait here. No one will mind you pushing through. Just be polite. Firm but polite. Go on. His father was right. He nudged and bumped his way forward and said, excuse me, in a polite voice, and the nameless bodies moved just enough to let him through. And then he was there, with about a dozen or so other children, all with their faces agog as their bewitched eyes feasted on the spectacle before them. The window was full of the most beautiful toys he had ever seen. And each and every one of them seemed to be alive in some way. They were moving and talking to each other and working together. And some of them were dancing. And some of them were sleeping. And some were reading. And some were eating. And some were even skating. Yes, the toy shop window had its own icy pond and two dolls in winter hats and scarves were skating around it perfectly on tiny skates. There was a train that moved all through the scene and even went in and out of a hillside tunnel before returning to its starting point and going again. 
The starting point was a stained glass train station, and a giant polar bear in station master's uniform blew his whistle when the train was ready to set off. The passengers on the train were immaculately dressed figurines in smart suits and colourful dresses, and they nodded their heads in conversation as the train progressed along the track. Nothing was still. It was an orchestra of synchronised movement that mesmerised him, just as it did the other children, one or two of whom were reluctantly made to leave every few minutes, only for their spots to be filled instantly by enthusiastic replacements. If they were like him, they would not be able to stop looking at the little log cabin in the foreground that had above its entrance a carved sign that said Santa's Workshop. Lit inside by miniature oil lamps, a conveyor belt was busily attended by elves wielding tools and wrapping paper and needles and thread. Outside the front of the cabin stood a fabulously fat Santa Claus, who was bending to gather and then feed grain to his reindeer, who were sticking their heads out of an adjoining stable. One of the reindeer was most certainly Rudolph, and his nose was very red indeed. He could have stayed there all night, admiring the beautifully crafted toys and imagining their magical lives when nobody was looking. But he felt the tap on his head, and he knew his father was ready to take him home. Up onto the shoulders he went again, and they went only a little further up the street before turning around to make their way to their own train. They had time for one final little moment before they got to the station. A group of singers had set themselves up and were giving their versions of festive songs to appreciative onlookers. Beside them, a stall was selling mulled wine and hot chocolate. His father didn't need any encouragement from him. Without being asked, he approached the stall and got one of the stall holders to hand him up a mug of perfect hot chocolate with cream and marshmallows and a chocolate flake. His father warned him not to spill any on his head as he walked while drinking his own heated beverage. They boarded their homebound train and were just two of the many passengers who were aglow with the spirit of the night. He had the window seat and cuddled into his father as he stared up at the night sky. His father chatted happily to the people sitting opposite as they shared what they had just seen and also what their plans were for the following day. He thought it a strange thing to be so friendly to strangers, but he also thought it was nice. The stars that lit up the darkness twinkled hypnotically and just before his eyes became too heavy to remain open, he thought about the Santa from the shop window, and he was sure he was readying his team to set out for the busiest night of their year, and that maybe, just maybe, 
they'd have time to pay a little visit to his house so the magic he was feeling so deep inside would last at least one more day. So there you go. That was the uh, that was the story. Christmas Eve in the city. I um, I quite liked that idea of anonymizing the boy, not giving him a name. Um, it's a bit like a mask. The idea of a mask. Excuse me. Sorry. In uh, a mask in theatre. I think I've mentioned this idea before, where I. A very plain, unadorned mask invites the projections of the audience. And even though the mask is fixed, people, depending on what they project, will see a smile or a frown or a sneer or whatever else. Um, So you leave the space for the the audience to, 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 to fill in anyway. Um, so there you go that's it okay I'm going to leave it there I'm going to leave it there for this episode and yes a little a little late this episode is a little late going to press uh, so to speak a few delays and even this little wrap up that I'm doing comes at the end of a long day and I've been I've been to Dublin (laughs) I've been to Dublin all the way up to the big schmock. I've been to Dublin and back uh, for a festive night with family, uh, which was really lovely. And food uh, was eaten, drink was drunk, and songs were sung. And three generations were represented, maybe even four. Hmm, I'll have to think about that. Okay, so... That's it until next week. And next week will be more Christmas fair. So if that's your bag, tune in again. Um, and see what I have on offer. Uh, okay. So as always, you can click on any of the social media links to leave a response. Share a thought. Please do subscribe, like and recommend to your friends um, or family members or whoever you think might listen and you can always if you're so inspired throw some of your financial heft behind this independent enterprise you can use the supporter link which should be there in the information where you're listening or you can use the patreon link to become an ongoing patron of the arts because this is an artistic endeavor as much as anything else. And that link is patreon.com forward slash the clear out. Okay, thanks very much. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the couple of poems. I hope you enjoyed my story, my story by Dara Clear, written in 2021. And I was 47 and 11 twelfths. okay ho 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 and all that jazz i will talk to you next week take it easy mind yourselves stay safe stay festive stay out of it if that's your choice talk to you soon cheers bye